text for this morning's sermon is John 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, show me your glory. That was a request that Moses made of the Lord. Moses had intimate communion with God. At times, Moses would enter the tent of meeting and the pillar of fire would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. God spoke to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai And as a result, his face was radiant. The people were afraid to come near to him. And yet, despite Moses' close contact with the Lord, he still asked him, show me your glory. Man was made for communion with God. God has put eternity into the hearts of man. Despite the fall into sin, mankind still longs for God. Deep down, people are searching for him. In Acts 17, Paul writes that God gave all people life and breath and everything else, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Despite the sinfulness and the brokenness of this life, or perhaps because of it, we want to be close to God, to share in communion with Him, to partake in His glory. And yet, since sin entered this world, there's always been this distance in our relationship with God. God is in heaven and we are on earth. God is the Almighty Creator. We are but creatures made of the dust. God lives in unapproachable light while we live in a sin-stained world. God is majestic and holy. By nature, we are corrupt. We are inclined to all evil. There is this gap that needs to be bridged. This morning, I may proclaim to you the riches of the gospel, that God sent his dearly loved Son into the world that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I may proclaim the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, the one in whom the glory of God is revealed, the way in which God bridges the gap to allow us to share in his glory. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. God has shown us his glory in sending his Son in human flesh to dwell among us. We'll consider God's majestic glory revealed in Christ's earthly presence so that we may share in his gracious blessings. 
When God reveals himself to mankind, he shows forth his glory. Anytime God comes into our presence, anytime he makes himself known to us, we come face to face with glory. The Lord revealed his power and glory in the plagues he brought upon the Egyptians. After the first few plagues, the Egyptian magicians had to admit they could not replicate the signs God did. The Lord further showed his glory when he led his people through the wilderness with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. After God led his people into the desert, Pharaoh and his armies raced after them to try and recapture them. Again, the Lord showed forth his glory when he drowned Pharaoh and his army in the midst of the Red Sea while leading his people through the midst of the sea on dry ground. In response, Moses and the Israelites sang this song. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? God's revelation of his glory did not end there. God showed himself to his people on Mount Sinai. Exodus 24 tells us about Moses going up on the mountain and of the cloud covering the mountain. Moses writes, The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of all the people of Israel. Note, beloved, whenever God's people encountered the Lord. They were met with glory. The Lord made a decision to come and dwell among his people. He commanded the people to make a sanctuary for him to dwell in their midst. The tabernacle would be the site of God's localized presence on earth. A tent where he would dwell in the midst of his people. Exodus 40 tells us what happened when the construction of the tabernacle was finished. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. How awe-inspiring it must have been for the people of Israel to witness God's glory come down and fill the tabernacle. Truly, God had come to live among them. Throughout the history of his people, God continued to reveal his glory to them. Number 16, verse 19, tells us that the glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. Korah and some of the other leaders among the people rose up against the Lord's appointed leaders, Moses and Aaron. You remember what happened next? The ground split apart. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the rebels, their households, and all they had. When the people of Israel again rebelled because of a lack of water, the glory of the Lord again appeared to them. He made water gush from the rock after Moses struck it with his staff. Think of the time when Isaiah saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne. You can read about it in Isaiah 6. 
Isaiah saw angels calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And do you remember Isaiah's response? He was scared. Isaiah knew the Lord to be a holy, consuming fire. Seeing the glory of the Lord filled his heart with fear. Whenever the Lord reveals himself, the people saw his glory. Sometimes this meant judgment. Other times, deliverance. Sometimes, provision. Other times, blessing. Yet each time, again, the glory of God is scary. It's awe-inspiring. Be talking to you about the glory of God. I've not really defined it yet. What is the glory of God? The word used in the Old Testament scriptures can be translated heavy or weighty. Most often this word is used in a figurative sense. A weighty person in society is one who is honorable, who is impressive, who is worthy of respect. When applied to God, it speaks of his honor, his greatness, his power, his splendor, his brilliance. Now, God is awe-inspiring, worthy of our praise and adoration. It's a great, it's a glorious thing when God reveals himself to man. When God makes himself known, we come face to face with his glory. That's what John wants to convey to us in our text this morning. John writes, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When John speaks of the word, it's clearly a reference to the Son of God who was with God from the beginning, who was involved in the creation of this world. This word became flesh. The Son of God took on our humanity. He became a real flesh and blood human being. That's the message of Christmas, beloved. That the Son of God was born in the flesh as the baby Jesus. Our text goes on to say that the Word who became flesh dwelt among us. More literally translated, our text says that the Word pitched his tabernacle, or he lived in his tent among us. Note the clear references back to Exodus, when God came to dwell among his people in the tabernacle. John wants to make it clear that something really great is happening here. That God was again revealing himself to his people. That he was doing so in a wondrous way. He was coming to dwell among people in human flesh. Please understand, beloved, the situation of God's people prior to the coming of the Christ. They were living in darkness. 
John makes that clear by speaking about how Jesus came as a light shining forth in the darkness. Darkness in Scripture is always associated with sin and with all its consequences. Darkness speaks about the absence of God. The time before the coming of Jesus Christ was a dark and gloomy period in the history of God's people Israel. They were under the dominion of the Romans. The revolt spearheaded by the Maccabees had failed. Caesar's grip on the land was stronger than it had ever been. The people of God suffered because of the harsh taxes they had to pay. But that wasn't the worst of their suffering. The worst thing was that God had promised that a son of David would always remain on the throne. But they had no king. No king but Caesar. And so they wondered what had happened to the Lord and to all his promises. Their situation was worsened by the fact that the Jewish leaders had become corrupt. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were focused on all the minor legalities of the law. They were forever debating minor points of law and laying heavier and heavier burdens on the shoulders of God's people. And then there were the priests who were supposed to be the teachers in Israel. They're supposed to minister God's grace to his people through the temple service. Yet the chief priests had become large landowners. They had turned aside from their God-given duties. In effect, they'd become corrupt politicians. The righteous ones in Israel were left with many questions. Did the Lord no longer love Zion? Had God abandoned his covenant people? In the past, the Lord had spoken to them by means of prophets. But in the last 400 years, he had been silent. There'd be no more direct revelation from God. Not since the Lord had spoken to them through his prophet Malachi. And so we see the situation of God's people Israel was rather depressing. They're under the rule of a foreign king. Their own rulers were corrupt. It seemed like God had forsaken them. It's into this darkness that the gospel of Christ came as a great light. John proclaims the good news about God has shown us his glory in sending his son in human flesh to dwell among us. The point he is making is that glory days have come again. We'll delve into this more in our second point. And it will focus on how God's majestic glory is revealed in Christ's earthly presence. After speaking about how the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, John says, And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. What John is saying is that Jesus had the same weightiness as God. Like God, Jesus is full of glory. In him, the glory of God will be revealed again. But do we see that glory revealed in the life of God's Son, Jesus Christ? Blinding, awe-inspiring glory, like in the days when God came to dwell among his people Israel? 
We get glimpses of it during Jesus' earthly ministry. But the fullness of that glory was not revealed during Jesus' days on earth. The fullness was still to come. When we go through the Gospels and examine Christ's life, we see the glory of God shine forth. Think, for example, of the miracles that Jesus did. The first miracle recorded in John's Gospel is of how Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana. John 2 verse 11 concludes, This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. What's true of this miracle is true of them all. Pick any of the miracles that Jesus did. The healing of the official's son who was at the point of death. The healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. The feeding of the 5,000 with a boy's lunch. Jesus walking on water. The giving of sight to a man born blind. Or the raising of Lazarus from the dead. These are wonderful, powerful, awe-inspiring acts. They give us glimpses of glory, glimpses of God. Peter, James, and John were given further insight into how God's glory was revealed in the sending of his only Son. Jesus took them up with him on a high mountain. Reminds us of Moses going up on Mount Sinai. When they were there, Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared talking with Jesus. And suddenly, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In Jesus' transfiguration, what was often shadowed during his earthly ministry was made clear. Jesus was God's Son. For a brief moment, he appeared before the three disciples in glory and majesty to impress on them the confession that they had made six days earlier that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. The disciples needed to know this for the difficult days that lay ahead, for the time when Christ's glory would be overshadowed by suffering, by darkness and shame. When God showed forth his glory in the Old Covenant, it was always spectacular. Drowning Pharaoh and his armies in the Red Sea, fire on Mount Sinai, water coming from the rock, the glory of God filling the tabernacle. That's when John says, We have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father. The people expected some divine fireworks, a wondrous display of power and glory. And yet they got. A baby lying in a manger and a condemned criminal hanging on a cross. 
During Christ's life on earth, we only get glimpses of his glory. For Christ's time had not yet come. Jesus had to walk the difficult pathway of suffering first. Suffering came before glory. First, Jesus had to be betrayed, arrested, convicted, and crucified. He had to suffer sorrow and shame, temptation and agony. The darkness had to reign first before Christ's full glory could be revealed. It's only when Jesus had the cross in sight that he says in John 12, 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's on the night when he would be betrayed that he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. In this prayer, Jesus speaks of bringing the Father glory by completing the work the Father gave him to do. And what was that work? Redeeming us from our sins. Paying the price for them with his blood on the cross, suffering an accursed death, that we might share in his righteousness, life and glory. Jesus also prays that the Father might glorify him with the glory he had before the world began, that he might be restored to the throne at God's right hand, that his church, together with all the angels, would give him glory for his redeeming work. It's only after Christ's ascension that his full power and glory were revealed. Stephen bore witness to this when he was being stoned. He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. At his conversion, Paul saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun blazing around him. He heard a voice asking, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When he asked, who are you, Lord? The voice replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. These are clear testimonies that God did glorify his son after his work on this earth was complete. In Christ, God has revealed himself to mankind. He showed forth his glory. He made known to us the way of redemption, opening the way for us to be restored to communion with him. Christ made it possible for us to be able to come into God's presence, to be one with him again. And we do not see the full glory at once. First the cross, then the glory. First the shame, then the highest place. First the humiliation, and then the exaltation. First the suffering, and then the crown. We've seen 
How God's majestic glory is revealed in Christ's earthly presence brings us to our final point, and it will consider how we may share in His gracious blessings. In Exodus 33, Moses said to God, Show me your glory. God said He would cause His goodness to pass before Moses while His face was hid in the cleft of the rock. For Moses was not allowed to see God's face. When God passed by Moses, He made Himself known by proclaiming, who he was, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God's glory is made evident in his constant love and abiding faithfulness. He dealt with his people in steadfast love and faithfulness. In our text, John says that we have seen Christ's glory full of grace and truth. The glory the Lord revealed to Moses by passing before him is the same glory John and the other apostles saw in the Word made flesh. Christ came to deal with us in grace and truth. To see this glory of God is an awesome thing. It's a great privilege. God expects something from those to whom he has revealed his glory. He expects us to respond in worship and praise. He expects us to trust and obey him. Consider, beloved, what happened to the people of Israel when they did not respond to God in this manner. Numbers 14 records the Lord's reaction to the disobedience and lack of trust shown by the people when they heard the report of the ten spies. The Lord said, But truly, as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. You see, the Lord does not take it lightly when his glory is ignored, when he is treated with contempt. John wrote his gospel with specific intent. He says that it was written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. In Jesus Christ, we have deliverance that's far greater than the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. We've not been delivered from the hand of physical enemies or given freedom from working as slaves for harsh masters. No, beloved, we have been delivered from slavery to sin, from the mastery of Satan. Christ came to give us life, to give it abundantly. He came to open the way for us, 
so we could share in the full glory of God. Do you believe that, beloved? Does it show in your life? Do you trust in the Lord for all that you need? Do you submit your life to His will? Above all, beloved, having seen the glory of God revealed in Christ His Son and the redeeming work He has done for us, do you give God glory? Do you worship and praise Him in all you think and say and do? Ezekiel saw a vision of God. We read about it in Ezekiel 1. The words used to describe God are inadequate to do justice to him. But note Ezekiel's response. Upon seeing the likeness of the glory of God, he fell face down. In Revelation 1, John 2 sees a vision. A vision of our ascended Lord in all his glory. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And what did John do? John says, when I saw him, I fell down at his feet as though dead. Beloved, we cannot come into the presence of God without being humbled. We're but weak, sinful beings. We come before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. His majesty, His brilliance astounds us. God's glory in Christ is awe-inspiring. And yet we need not be afraid. Not if we believe in Christ as our Savior. Not if we submit to Him as our Lord. Please remember the reason why the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It was to restore us to God, to allow us to share in His blessings. Before Christ went up into heaven, He promised He would come again to take us to Himself, to make us partakers of His glory. That gives us reason for joy and good cheer in this Christmas season. Let us praise and glorify God for sending His Son in human flesh to dwell among us. Amen.